Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. The book we're going to be talking about tonight is Nefarious Twit by Tony McMillan. A little bit about the author. Tony lives near Boston, but grew up mostly in Tucson, Arizona. He writes the humor column Touch the Wonder, where he performs droll vivisections of pop culture with equal parts vitriol and whimsy. The column is published by Dig Boston. I'm looking at the synopsis. This year's Donnie booked. We can have a category for longest synopsis. <laughs> and there's a good chance. I've read short stories that were shorter than this. Yeah, this is a uh, this is a Chris Deal story right here that you're about to yes. read. Yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> speaking of Chris Deal, he's got a book coming out, Broken River. Broken River. Yeah, so very cool. But we're not talking about Chris Deal. Screw you, Chris Deal. We're talking about Tony McMillan tonight <laughs> and Nefarious Twit. So, uh, Rob, the synopsis came from Amazon. Uh, yes. Amazon's going to start charging us, I think, for using the synopsis from their, their website. We better start charging that. them for name dropping them every time we talk about a synopsis. You know what? This is this is a good deal. We're going to get our lawyers on that. You hear that, A. Adam Otten? Get in touch with Amazon. See what, what, uh, what we can do there. All right. Let's see how many takes we can do this in. Madness, Murder, Children's Literature, Nefarious Twit, the ferociously clever debut from author Tony McMillan. After his mother commits suicide, Rick Lyme decides to finally find his father, the legendary children's book author known as Nefarious Twit. The same Nefarious Twit who disappeared from the public eye 22 years ago, abandoning Rick and Rick's mother at the height of his fame after releasing one final controversial children's book. Rick Lyme has decided to find his father so that he can murder him. Along for the ride is Rick's violent but fiercely loyal half-brother, Lou. Both of them are addicted to a strange drug called vitrillum, and as they set out for misguided vengeance, their drug-soaked journey begins to resemble one of nefarious Twit's children's stories. Reality and Twit's stories seem to converge as the brothers follow the path of the Dark Ladder, the ominous symbol from Twit's most popular books, which appears to be leading them right to the author. Featuring 14 full-page illustrations, Nefarious Twit is a bent, psychedelic odyssey through the darker parts of North America. There are stop-offs involving blissful stone children on psychotropic drugs administered by their mothers, the joys of erectile dysfunction, and the prevailing myth of the wandering Jew. Bleakly funny, beautifully sad, and profoundly strange, Nefarious Twit is a stylish and defiant debut novel about how things... (laughs) How the things we leave unfinished may end up being the things that finish us, like Shell Silverstein by way of William S. Burroughs. Now, for those of you guys that understand podcast magic, I only screwed that up one time. Which is very impressive. <laughs> I, I am impressed, other than the second time, which is why I thought I didn't start recording my end of the podcast. That doesn't count, though. <laughs> so. um, I just want to say about the, the synopsis, uh, as long as it is, it's strikingly accurate. Um, there are sometimes uh, we've run across a synopsis that talks about the story, but it doesn't really deliver like the meat of the story or like really what happens. And this one is very accurate, in my opinion. I'm calling. I'm crying foul. This is not an accurate synopsis, and here's why: um, the part where it says that Twit um, wrote one last controversial children's book. That book wasn't for children. That's right. He and I was going to bring that up too. Yeah, because uh, he. In the book, they describe the first book. Um, I can't remember the name of it. Where will this lead me, or something like that? Yes, something like that. Uh, <laughs> we're so we're so prepared. So prepared mm-hmm. as a children's book that adults enjoy as well, and the other one called The Dark Ladder as a book for adults that children enjoy as well. Yeah, I mean, I think so. Let's talk about that for a second. I think that was really clever and, and a cool thing for a well, fictional. <laughs> writer to do but he has this um this very successful of controversial children's book and then he later adapts it for adult material basically being the same the concept being exactly the same is what i got from it which i thought was really really cool Mm -hmm. yeah with just more real um more reality splashed into the, the you know in darkness and not everything being so fairy tale like yeah so um We'll fill in a little bit of the synopsis, or kind of in our own words. So Rick is uh, 27. Father left him when he was five um, and, and basically did what his characters in the books do. So the big deal in this book, and this is all you know, very early chapter two stuff, is uh, there's this ladder, and uh, the, the, the 
the child in the in the children's book as well as the adult later in the kind of adult version both follow this ladder and are very um, curious to see where it's going to lead them ultimately both books ending with them leaving behind their families so as a child this is controversial because you know there are parents who are going holy crap i just read my kid a book that says the kid should just wander off into into you know wherever um, just to see where it takes him and to leave his family behind. And then obviously there's a different meeting when it's an adult leaving his family behind, his wife and child, kind of to see where the road will take him. And that's what Nefarious Twit does. He um, he, he just winds up leaving his family with, uh, with a young Rick Lime at five years old. Um, subsequently, um, Rick's mom has another child right around that time because they're only like six years apart, right? So pretty quickly... Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, has another child, and Lou is a. Uh, a lot of this kind of had that little bit of of, uh, of mice and men feel to it. Are you familiar with uh, yeah. with the book? Elaborate. <laughs> okay, kind of like the 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 two guys are on this journey together, and the one has to look after the other one. So in of mice and men, um, uh, I can't remember his name. The big goofy guy who's kind of violent sometimes, but he does it out of not knowing any better. Mm-hmm. is constantly being rescued by the the main character. I, I should probably have done a little more research on the names. But I did get a little bit of that feel throughout the course of this book, that there was a little bit of, uh, of Mice and Men there. Yeah, there you go. So. Yeah, so uh, what precipitates the action of the story is um, the at the beginning of the book, Rick and Lou's mom commit suicide. And um, it opens up kind of with... Uh, attending her funeral and this kind of more or less pushes Rick to uh, want to seek out his father uh, once once more even though it's been so long so that he can kind of uh, get what's coming for him for, for abandoning the family so long ago and uh, um, he, he makes a plan to and, and reaches out to some resources to get information to find his father and and uh, and go confront him and kind of simultaneously with him putting his plan in action, Lou has an altercation that uh, causes him to need to kind of flee. Is it cool if I say what happens? Yeah, I think so. He gets uh, he he kind of hooks up with a girl at a bar, and uh, they they leave the bar and they're out somewhere, and <clears throat> she goes down on him, and and once it's all done, she's like, you know what, I haven't been totally truthful essentially reveals that she's actually a dude or a transgendered uh, person and he freaks out and um, his violent kind of childlike he has this kind of weird part of his personality where he, he's not he's kind of abnormal and, and really there's like some like psychosis uh, going on and he freaks out and, and beats her up and eventually ends up killing her and so then he's on the run and, and Rick's on this quest to find uh, his father so they, they kind of head out and that's where the journey begins yeah and <clears throat> I don't want to give a, a lot of this away but um, I will say that I think that the reason that Rick goes um, goes after his father other than the obvious reason um, and kind of how it ties into his mother's suicide and how she kills herself I, I thought was really well yeah. well thought out and played out very very well in the book so I'm not going to that's all pretty early on, too, but that's the kind of thing I think readers should discover for themselves. But kudos to Mr. McMillan for coming up with a great kind of catalyst for, for the whole thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right, there's only um, one other character worth mentioning. Um, Nefarious Twit, uh, I don't know, may or may not make an appearance in this book. I don't want to <laughs> say one way or the other. Um, so he's kind of the absent character. But they do meet a, uh, a girl very early on, basically before they leave their, their hometown the, that night, the night before, the early that morning, who um, for various reasons decides to tag along, and her name is Nixon. So pretty much immediately, um, they, her and Rick develop a kind of romantic relationship. So basically what we spend, you know, the, the vast majority of the book with, uh, with Rick um, and his brother Lou and Nixon, Rick's girlfriend, on this kind of weird journey to uh, to find Twit. Now, <clears throat> mentioned Vitrillum in the um, in the uh, synopsis, and we should probably talk a little bit about that because that's what brings on some of the really kind of weird things that go on in this book. <laughs> um, Vitrillum is, I believe, a fictional <laughs> a fictional drug. 
um, that was a kind of like an ADD type drug uh, back, you know, whatever, 22 years ago. So I guess in the uh, uh, early 90s, late 80s, whatever, that um, very briefly was given to children. Um, but it caused them to have, uh, I don't know, kind of psychotic breaks, I guess. So they see things yeah. and, and whatever. So it's pretty quickly pulled off the market. But there becomes a, a secondary market where drug dealers clone this drug and sell it as a um, hallucinogenic um, drug. And Rick and Lou, on and off throughout their lives, have been on this. Um, and, and there's no short supply of it in this book. So uh, there's some hallucinations and some other things that go on due to this. And that leads, uh, leads us to some of the kind of the really out there stuff that happens in this book. Yeah, and it's going to be difficult to talk about this book because there's so much packed into it. It's about, uh, what, 300 pages or so? Uh, yeah, I believe so. And, I mean, in addition to the main um, story uh, and the elements that we've talked about so far, there's so much more. So Livius mentions this uh, vitrillum. So it's called vitrillum. Yeah, mm-hmm. vitrillum. I read, you know, you read it and you see the word and you don't really like say it out loud in your head when you're reading it. So, um, and then there's a whole story behind uh, how you know how what it's supposed to be derived from that we find out in one part, which leads back to um, this kind of history of an entire nation that isn't actually real, um, but like it, you know exists somewhere in Eastern Europe, and 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 the the characters in the book, Rick and his brother are of the of this nationality or from this country and um which makes me which totally made me think about like uh mcmillan goes through there's definitely several uh what he calls interlude chapters which we're gonna have to go after him for some money on that because uh mm-hmm. i'm fairly certain that's where he picked that up uh from us and um in these interlude chapters and just randomly uh kind of mixed in with the regular uh, uh narrative kind of tr- journey we're on um we get these bits of just history or explanations of things. So there's this history of this culture uh, and how it ties in with uh, the book that Nefarious Twit wrote. Um, there's um, just stories about uh, a bunch of different stuff and how and, and, and it's tangentially kind of associated with or influences what happens in this story. But uh, it, it's really well done in, in the tradition of like... A, I haven't said it in a long time, so that's why I want to. In like a Kurt Vonnegut kind of way, where it's a good way. It's not a it's not a um, a digression that takes you away from the story. It's something that enriches it and adds to the mythology of the story. Which um, I always get nervous when I see stuff like that, but I'm really happy when it's pulled off uh, the right way. Yeah, Dar- Darjmanian was that? Yeah, is that probably the right pronunciation? Maybe. Um, yeah, it is interesting, and it's funny that you say that because I didn't think Vonnegut until you said that. But I absolutely, um, I absolutely think that that you're right, and I do think that uh, the history that he gave a, a fictional country was um, was really good, <laughs> um, and it played really well into the story. I was going to say I think he was just making fun of Romanians the whole time, but he doesn't know me well enough to do that, I guess. Also, where the ladder leads—that's the name of the book. Just because I was kind of looking for the, uh, the pronunciation yeah. for this, but yeah, and the 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 wandering Jew, which again is something that's mentioned in there, is is kind of taken on, and it's a um, it's a fable um, about a guy who you know kind of slights Christ in his last moments alive and uh, is forced to walk the earth forever. Basically, so the guy's kind of looking for forgiveness, and he's wandering the earth, and of course that ties into these tones of forgiveness between Rick and his father, and and you know just mm-hmm. all all kinds of different things. But yeah, it's very interlacing. You, know, you said it's three hundred pages, but it's a long three hundred pages. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of story packed into you know what you know we say is long, meh, because we've gotten spoiled reading hundred eighty page books every week, but. It is definitely a, a filled out 300 pages. It certainly feels like more than that story-wise. Yeah, and really briefly touching back on the um, the fake country, and you said he was making fun of Romanians. Mm-hmm. Anybody who who knows, or uh, it's obvious that he has like a, a at least a passing knowledge of, or had did some, done some research on like Eastern Europe uh, for building this, uh, or mm-hmm. or it's just like a really hilarious coincidence because like. Anybody I've talked to who's from like that Eastern European kind of area, like um, the former Yugoslavia and Greece, and and uh, you know heading over into like um, Kazakhstan and all that kind of area, 
um, Romania included, it, <laughs> you get them talking about the history of their country enough. At some point, Turkey has invaded like everybody <laughs> surrounding <That's>, them. <laughs> yep. And that was a big theme in, in the talking about the history of this country was how they just like were just invaded by literally everybody and uh, and their culture changed based on who has you know invaded them mm-hmm. and influenced their culture. But like anytime you talk to someone from Eastern Europe, it's always like, and you mention Turkey, it's always like they immediately go into this like, my people, my people, and it's yeah. So that's what it made me think of when. He, <laughs> Dude, my like, people, my people were invaded by the Turks too. I'm just yeah, that's, that's yeah. So see, <clears throat> yeah, it, it is everybody, and yes, it was a nice touch. But I think that a lot of things from the culture um, played very well, and like you said, the you know even the history of the drug. Um, had a good backstory. I mean, a lot of things here were really thought out and really well researched. But at its heart, at its heart, as great as all that stuff was, this is a a simply a story about relationships. Yeah. So many different relationships. You've got, you know, kind of Rick's relationship to his mother, which doesn't play as big a role as you would think, but it, it's there and it's important. You know, Rick's relationship to his father, who left him. Rick's relationship to his brother. Rick's relationship with Nixon. To some extent, even Lou's relationship with Nixon. I mean, all of it is... All the stuff we talked about is all the packaging for a story that's straight up just about people yeah, relating a, to one another. That's, yeah, it's about family and loyalty and mm-hmm. love and abandonment and yeah Re- a little bit of regret maybe not so much but a little bit i think of regret yeah i think so yeah and uh one thing i want to mention is uh the fact that in the synopsis i mentioned there's 14 full page illustrations um which are actually done by tony mcmillan himself the author and uh, if you've seen any of the art if you've seen the cover it's pretty damn awesome it's got this like uh, I mean, it's very where the sidewalk ends kind of inspired, I believe. Um, but it's got a very fairy tale kind of feel, but with a very, like, it's got a very sharp kind of biting edge to it, is the way I, I feel about it. And when you see these illustrations, it's it's really cool. Especially toward the middle and end of the book, where you know enough about the story and how it applies to, or you know enough about the, like, the, the fairy tales and how they kind of parallel what's happening to our characters to really understand what those pictures are depicting and how it ties in with what's going on with the actual book. So um, they're really, really cool. I mean, they're easily something I would hang on my wall. Yeah, I was, uh, I was fairly impressed. And like you said, they're, they're simple on, on like a level, um, but they're very good. And I thought that they fit very well, especially where they're placed throughout the book. Um, in relation to the actual story that's going on, the story you're reading was uh, was all done done pretty well. I know as part of his Kickstarter, he was giving away some original prints or whatever, so some people who jumped in on that um, perhaps already owned some of that artwork. And see, you missed out, buddy. Could have been hanging that on your wall. Damn it. Well, if, if we give it a good enough rating, maybe I can uh, I can grease some wheels there. You can finagle some stuff? Yeah, yeah well, well, we'll see. There you go. <laughs> I just bought somebody three-quarters of a star. <laughs> we never we never we never claim to be fair so yeah and the last thing i think i really want to talk about and and i guess i shouldn't say too much about it but i really want to commend tony on uh the nixon character um she kind of throughout the course of the book is a little mysterious um which is good because we don't you know we don't see her spill her guts all right at the beginning she tags along with the brothers because she's obviously a little bit infatuated and says she is with Rick. She's she's just kind of she finds him very intriguing and, and wants to basically learn more about this guy, which is why she tags around. But their relationship, I thought, was very, very well written. And yeah, it's a little, I don't know, almost romantic comedy style. Like they just meet and then they have to go on this journey together. And, you know, there's there's nothing about it that seems plausible. On its, well, on its surface, realistic, like the way they met. But I think the interaction between the two of them was was really really terrific throughout the course of the book and very believable if you kind of take out the you know the way they met and that the fact that you know four hours later or whatever they're they're road tripping you know to go murder somebody uh, even in the parts where there was jealousy and some stuff towards you know that happens obviously some conflict in that relationship later on in the story as you would expect from any type of you know kind of hookup in a book or, or movie. Um, all of it felt very, very real and very well written, and I was super impressed by that. 
Definitely. I, I fully agree, and I want to say that the way they met, while it's not plausible or very realistic, was fucking awesome. Dude, can I just say, I think you should go out and try that. Um, <laughs> Here's what you should do. At 5 in the morning, so 7 hours from now, <laughs> you should go out on the street. Now, mind you, it's going to be, what, negative 35 with the, with the, with wind, the wind chill hill, index? Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> you should go out there and try to meet a chick that way. You know I live in a gay neighborhood, right? <laughs> Well, that means there's gay girls too, right? Well, they, yeah, they're gay. <laughs> they will oh, be girls. All right, this could be all right. This there could be some flaws in my plan. I'm so a, it's not the it's so it's not the the negative temperatures that's going to keep you from doing this. No, it's um. Okay. But I'll, I will say, going to AWP soon, so maybe I'll I'll try and you know pick up a nerdy mm-hmm. book chick that way. There you go. But uh, yeah, definitely report back on that. I'd like to hear how that goes for you. <laughs> all right. Uh, what do you think about doing some quotes? I think that I have quite a few quotes. I may have to fumble through these a little bit to see what uh, what I want to use. Well, I'm going to let you run first because I've only got a couple. They're very good, but uh, just a couple this time. Yeah, here, this isn't a quote so much as something we should probably talk about because it's mentioned 3% of the way into the book. Rick, um, because of his kind of hatred for his father and and basically you know in some ways he kind of blames the books and, and the way those books end for for his being you know growing up without a father uh <laughs> has taken to he just doesn't like the ends of books you know this is very very challenging for a writer his protagonist goes along and i'm just going to read this uh to you a little bit um Rick Lime developed a strange fetish of perfecting books sometime back in the third grade. This is when it struck him that the endings of most books just didn't deliver. All the authors trying to wrap up everything so neat and nicely, and it felt, it felt so flat, like a rapturous crescendo followed by an off-key squeal. So what Rick does is he goes into libraries, people's homes, whatever, when he finds a book, and if he doesn't like the ending, he tears out the last page. Brilliant, if you ask me. So it's kind of ballsy, though, for a writer to give this this attribute to one of his characters mm-hmm. when you know the book's got to end, right? <laughs> so, you know, the question I had every time they mentioned it is, am I going to get to the end? And is this book worthy of having its last page ripped out? Yep. Yeah, I was thinking so. about that, too. I was like, this dude's got some stones. Yeah. So um, <laughs> that wasn't really a quote, but something I meant to mention and I highlighted and it never translated over to the notes. So, um. All right, here's, here's what I thought it was just, just great. Um, he's a tall but somewhat hunched man with long, greasy, straw-colored hair who looks like he can hotwire a car. He can, incidentally. So that was kind of I like that. And that actually is... Um, uh, so the book is, is written in third person, and there's a lot of the breaking of the fourth wall where um, the, narrative, the narrative voice talks directly to the reader a lot. And will also make reference to the book itself uh, very frequently. So it's a little bit meta in a way, right? Mm-hmm. Being yep. self-referential the way it is. Absolutely. Um, and then we're going to get to this in, in the in the wrap-ups and everything. I know I'm totally interrupting the quotes, but like, there's so many elements to this book that I typically would be like, this is going to be a negative attribute, and it doesn't end up he does them right so that that's one of the things he did right i think the way that he interacted with the reader and referenced the book itself was worked fine yeah and it was interesting too because there are some chapters where he's like this next chapter isn't that important here's yeah. kind of what's going to happen <laughs> you could read it if you want or you can skip over it um did you skip any chapters no i read everything yeah yeah i wonder who does that stephen king did that at the end of the dark tower series where he actually you know came out of the story and then posted this this whole thing is stephen king going listen this is the way i wanted to end the book i've got this this whole other chapter but i know people are going to hate me for it blah 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 and really you shouldn't read it and you know how do you not read it after that yeah you know so you gotta have willpower to not read that Mm -hmm. yeah um, this next quote is from uh, Lou is uh, on the vitrillum and, and he's starting to have uh, hallucinations. And uh, I mean, I could probably read a page and a half of this, but uh, I'm going to narrow this down to half a paragraph. He shows his ID to the strong neck at the entrance and is allowed inside. When he sits down, he is given a beer without asking. He pays for it, no questions, and turns his stool to look at the creatures climbing the walls, dead girls selling the virus with their summer clothes and skeleton skin. Yeah. 
That yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's, all you, that's all you have to say. Yep. So good stuff. Wasn't that um, the same scene where there was a dead baby crawling up his leg, with yep. like its head busted open? Yep. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty rough. <laughs> really well done. And I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Um, I read the book. Oh. Wow. All right. Well, I guess that makes sense. In the movie, there's a scene uh, when they check into their hotel in Las Vegas where uh, um, he's just peeking on acid, and uh, they're in the lounge of the hotel waiting for their room to be prepared. Mm-hmm. And uh, at one point, it's just he sees just this orgy of giant lizards like having sex, and there's blood everywhere and everything. And it's fully on a hallucination, but it's this scene strongly reminded me of, of that kind of setup. Yeah, I could I could see why it would, and it's yeah, it, it's it's a great few paragraphs or pages or however you want to say it of this. It, it, a lot of times, hallucinations in books, kind of like dream sequences, feel a little, I don't know, contrived. Here comes the hatred of dream sequences. Fuck it, I hate dream sequences, <laughs> man. Dream there sequences. Was dream sequences in this book. Oh, I know, I know. <laughs> Trust me, I didn't miss those. But um, yeah, I yeah. Never mind. Go on. Do you have some quotes? Right? All right. I'm going <laughs> to rein this back in before Livius goes off on a tear. Um, this is a quote toward the beginning. Uh, and it becomes obvious before we get to this quote that Rick is not very happy to see his family. He doesn't see them very often and doesn't have a high opinion of them. Uh, but this is at the, the mother's funeral. Uh, this, thinks Rick, is family stretched to its logical conclusion. Everybody shows up when they pull you out. And everybody comes around again when they put you back in. This is very well stated. I agree. All right. Uh, this next one is uh, Rick is kind of reflecting back on meeting Nixon. They hadn't done much talking that morning. They got to his house, lay down in bed, and then promptly fell asleep together. It was perfect. No sex, no talking, no names. Just comfort, something shared. He is the boy and she is the girl. No names. Names begat complications. Complications begat boring getting to know you drivel. He hates drivel. It's good. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of echoed later on in the book, uh, and I don't think this is much of a spoiler. When they're in an argument, and um, she she says something like, uh, he's talking about how he doesn't know stuff about her, and she says, you know everything about me that means something. Mm-hmm. I was like, damn, dude. That's good stuff. All right, I have a giant quote, but I love this quote. This is one of the best quotes I've read from a book in a, quite a while, I'm going to say. Um, this is just doesn't really need any setup Lou's views on women have always been like his views on Tyrannosaurus Rex he loves them and has since he was a little boy he thinks both of them are beautiful and powerful and is fascinated by this strange dichotomy on either creature he doesn't really understand the the full functionality of the two smaller appendages on the front but both cause him to smirk whenever he sees them move rapidly he loves learning new facts and myths about them, and he adores movies or documentaries on either subject. But whenever, but whenever either tries to talk to him, he is instantly terrified and reminded that neither has any good reason to do this, and both possess the ability to bite him in half. He also believes, especially erroneously, that neither can see him if he stands completely still. <laughs> I did. We had that. We had that quote in common. That is just great stuff. <laughs> so good. And it makes you think of Jurassic Park and boobs. It's like the best quote ever. <laughs> Jurassic Park. Right? Yes, yes. I don't know if Jurassic Park makes it the best quote ever, but it, it is a pretty solid quote. <laughs> um, I have a few more, so I'm going to try to rattle through these a little bit and make them relevant to our review. Um, we talked about breaking the fourth wall. This is probably my favorite portion Um where he does that. The more attentive reader may have noticed that this mysterious man with the black beard has appeared in this book now a few times. This is important. Readers who don't remember these previous appearances may want to read this book at a slower rate so that they may better <laughs> enjoy sly little details like these. It's goddamn great. I was really worried, like chapter one, chapter two, where the chapters were starting out like that, that this was going to become very tedious and tiresome very quickly. Um, that's a 50% of the way through the book. And, and at that point I was kind of sold on that type of narrative. So, um, so here's a couple, um, quick ones. Lou checks the rear view once more and the girl Nixon is still smiling. Like there's a contest. 
Nixon's really high at that <laughs> point, but I thought that was just a great way to, to say that. Um, and again, sometimes I think I should open my quotes while we're talking about it. When you were talking about the rich um, Darjmanian history, mm-hmm. there was that whole thing about um, Farchetk, which yep. was the in, enormous hermaphrodite, <laughs> hermaphroditic giant made out of living earth. Um, that was just fantastic. It, just a terrific fable of how something began. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just did a note to mention that. Um, there is a character, and in some cases I, I almost feel like I missed something here. There is a critic that's quoted throughout the book as a big critic of Nefarious Twit. And I almost feel like I missed some kind of in reference mm-hmm. in this book somehow. Like maybe this was someone I should have known and I just wasn't quite getting it. So this one's a little longer. It is important to note that this ardently acerbic attack from all right, Plamenche is not culled from another of his missives on Darjmanian author Nefarious Twit, nor is it taken from a review regarding a collection of Darjmanian mythology or a study thereof. No, it is plucked from... Charles R. Plamenche's critical assessment of the Nintendo Entertainment System's video game cartridge Super Mario Bros. 3. It should be said that though the game possesses no mention of Darjmanian, Greek, or any other mythology for that matter, Plamenche, a critic of considerable skill and good judgment, found a way to read between the lines of a game about an Italian plumber jumping on turtles and eating mushrooms and insert this pertinent, pernicious, and oddly precious rant. Undoubtedly, Plamenche is a critical thinker of singular talent. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the good quotes, too. Yeah, I just I just felt like I was missing something, like I should have known who he was. And I could be wrong. Well, and, and if I'm wrong, he should have been somebody. So, Tony McMillan, work on your rewrite. Or, yeah, just, like, come up with an after-the-fact story. Yeah, exactly. Oh, oh, perfect. I witnessed that once. Can I? I'm going to totally interrupt. This is sure. like a fucking incredible story. I, I don't really talk about Kevin Smith much, but uh, I, I have on and off been a big fan of him. And um, this is such a personal story that I have to tell it. It's probably going to be a few minutes long, though. Um, I had the opportunity. All right. So <laughs> I had the opportunity to go to a Q&A that he did in like 2003 in a very small setting uh, in Crystal Lake, which is really near uh, where I lived. And it was really awesome, and I got really good seats because it, it's a weird thing, but the girl I was dating at the time was cousins with Kevin Smith or something, so I was, like, basically front row. Anyway, it's a Q&A, so people are queued up to uh, A. Oh, uh, man. Yeah, I know. Is terrible. that really, is that where you were going with this? Is that the, the punchline of the story? Like, I'll be here all week. And um, finally, someone gets up, and, and I recognize him. It's this kid... Um, I went to school with who is in a wheelchair and he was I really disliked this person because he was constantly just beating himself up all the time and like he was very self-deprecating but like he he was it was very open in his hatred for himself and he was very vocal about it in school and it was just like it was very annoying so anyway I hated the kid and uh, suddenly he's up and he's asking Kevin Smith a question and he <laughs> He's being this self-deprecating, like, self-hating person while he's trying to, like, talk to Kevin Smith and ask, get to his question. And um, and his question was very simple. It was just, uh, what was the name of the character that, I guess, in, in the movie Clerks, there's the original ending. There was someone who came in at the end and shot Dante. That's how it was supposed to end. Um. And this kid's question, this kid Dan's question was, um, what was the name of the character who shot Dante? And um, Smith started out by saying, well, I never actually wrote a, you know, I never actually gave him a name. And then he's like, well, what's your name? <laughs> <laughs> and the kid tells him his name. And he's like, well, my character's name is Dan Mulligan. <laughs> nice. So. There you go. Then, then the postscript, the interesting postscript to this is that, uh, a couple years later, he came out with Clerks 2, and in it, there's there's a scene where uh, the Randall character is talking about how he's getting uh, he's getting into a fight with uh, a kid in a wheelchair on the kid's blog because he's always whining about how he's so, you know, um, people with functioning legs are privileged and everything like that. And I was like, I will bet you anything that this character is based on. <laughs> 
this kid Dan Mulligan who I went to school with. I've never been able to confirm it, but I'm like 95% sure that's the case. Uh, well, we'll be on the Kevin Smith network soon. Maybe you'll just be the last <laughs> Kevin if that's the case. Yeah. So, and then he's going to tell you, no, the kid, that kid, his name's Rob Olson. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I would deserve it. Can I, can I do a couple more? Yeah. Sorry. I had to get that story out. I've, I've been dying to tell that story. Rick and Nixon have an argument, and I love this. You're small. So Rick says this to, to Nixon. You're small and bossy, and you walk stupid. <laughs> that makes me yeah. think of another story, but I'm not going to tell it. Oh, my God. All right, then I'm going to go on with a really, really long one. <laughs> um, I'm not even going to quote this. I just think this was brilliant. Do you remember Rick and Lou are talking about this, uh, the, the, the sci-fi TV show that's brought up numerous times throughout the Haunted throughout Planet? This, Yes. So they're talking, Rick's talking about how they watched it and they, they caught it in reruns and all of a sudden it just ended and they were waiting for like the next episode and it started over. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and how much he actually loved just the story for the story and that it didn't have to have an end. Um, that's kind of a controversial topic, I think. When we talk about, you know, we've talked on this show about how The Shield ended. Um, you know, I, I know that lots of people were really iffy about The Sopranos or about mm-hmm. lost or whatever mm-hmm. but rick's um concept there which ties into his you know the book has an ending because you have to wrap it up sometimes it sucks or most of the time it sucks there's this whole paragraph really really long that went on to kind of talk about enjoying a story just for the story and not needing it to have an ending which i thought was really interesting i'm totally not in that court everything i read needs to have an ending but oh, I, I did know. think that he made he made he made a good argument for it <laughs> so um um, this was also uh, real funny. I'm going to kind of redact some stuff here. This is someone telling Lou. Um, Lou's kind of spilling his guts about everything that's gone on in, in hopes that, you know, like people tell you, well, just talk about it. You'll, you'll feel better. Lou, if you really believe that telling someone about your problems will just make them disappear, you're even crazier than we thought. The thing laughs, its big round eyes swelling like ugly balloons. Zom starts too, and then Lou joins them, all three of them laughing at the absurdity of it. Which I thought was great, because people will tell you all the time, like, you know, just get it off your chest. Everything will be better. <laughs> no, it won't. Not always the case. <laughs> no. Um, good stuff. I have another one, and this is, this is, God, it's so simple, but it's probably one of my favorite lines in this whole book. There is this, um, um, there, there's just this altercation that kind of happens, and... This is just like a throwaway line, and I don't think most people have even caught like the genius of this, but Rick in his head is is imagining this kind of other path that things could have taken, and he's talking about his brother, and he says, this Lou imagined by the Nixon of Rick's mind. I think I read that like four or five times. Granted, it's only a sentence, but you know, I think I read it over and over just really thinking about how great that explanation was of what he was kind of going through yeah so and i've got one more he moves through the field quickly not wanting to waste time he's been dragging his feet for 20 odd years he can't do it anymore he has knelt at he has knelt at the church of procrastination but now taken up new gods god of urgency god of desperation god of now that's good yeah that's good stuff um you can take out where i said you could tell me if it's too spoilery because i realize that it's not spoilery at all but i know what it where it takes place that's really late in the book Um, because you did so many quotes and I wasn't talking much I'm going to tell you the little other story that I thought of it's really quick (laughs) you've Um, been waiting so patiently it involves (laughs) it involves Adam whose legs don't work Um, when we were in like middle school one time this is just the dumbest shit but for some reason it's always tickled me Um, uh, a friend of ours was doing something like Adam at that time his legs were not functioning you know he he had gotten to the non-functioning leg part of his life and um, my friend was doing something and, and like holding Adam up or doing something and Adam just kept yelling, put me down. And finally the friend that was holding him said, you're short, you're fat, and you walk like a duck. Yeah, was this before or after the part where you were openly calling him a cripple? Uh, during. <laughs> okay, I just wanted to make sure that was clear on. Because on... he said, put me down. I, and then yeah, he put him I, down, like, all right, verbally. Why? 
why why that guy ever hung out with you totally yeah. oh me. god we were terrible to him constantly we uh, still are I've, I've noticed that has not escaped me <laughs> and I was best, friend, best man in his wedding um, alright you ready to wrap this up or do you have any other childhood stories you'd like to tell us oh something will come up <laughs> I'm feeling very nostalgic lately but um apparently yeah I can I can lead out the wrap ups alright alright I'm gonna be very frank in my wrap up and say that there was a lot of warning signs with this book. A lot of things that kind of made me hesitant. Just because he, uh, Tony chose to go with a lot of elements that, if not pulled off properly, are going to make a book suck, or going to make me, are going to make me enjoy it less. So I always get a little bit nervous with that. But I mean, we'd met the guy, and I'd kind of looked into the book and everything, and and it seemed pretty solid. So um, we decided to review it and within a few I mean every kind of hesitation was dispelled within the first few you know chapters or even pages uh, I've never read anything except for um, non-fiction stuff from Tony because I've read some of his articles from Dig Boston and he did a couple things from Anarchy um, I'd never read any fiction from him before so uh, I didn't know what to expect but um, he's a very solid writer I know in, in the Kickstarter he said it took him he spent six years on this book um and it's obvious because it's very well crafted. The writing is, is solid, everything's tight, the stories, there's so many different layers that tie in together. Um, it's just a really, really well put together book and it's super interesting and the risks he takes um, pay off because uh, you know he doesn't do a lot of conventional stuff and he approaches things uh, in ways that, that you know are a little bit risky, but I mean, the, just the fact that he has a really solid main narrative with a bunch of incredibly rich um, supporting uh, stories and those 14 uh, illustrations and how they impact the story, everything was just very, very well executed. And uh, I really dug it a lot. So I'm going to go four and a half stars on this. I thought it was, I it was a really great book. Um, This is one of those... Uh this is bright. God, man, going back now, looking back at almost three years of this podcast, I think this is one of the only times Rob was like, hey, we're going to review this. And I was like, all right, because Rob pretty <laughs> much just lets me be like, hey, how about this? And he's like, yeah, that's fine. You know, so I'd kind of seen some stuff on Facebook about it. I thought it kind of looked interesting. Um, didn't have any goddamn clue what it was going into it. And, you know, so I got it and I look at the cover and I go, oh, this is going to be fucking Alice in Wonderland. This is going to be kind of <laughs> cool. And then I get into it, and I'm reading this, and I go, great, oh, suicide mom, find my dad, loser brother, you know, I was like, meh. But like Rob said, I think it took me about three chapters, and I was I was pretty sold on on it. I was a little iffy on the, the kind of narrative style that we talked about. I mean, there were, like Rob said, there were a lot of warning signs here. Um, but <laughs> that being said, um, I was probably about 35, 40% of the way into the book and, and hadn't really changed my mindset, like hadn't went back and reevaluated. I was just in the mode where I was reading. And at some point, I uh, just realized, like, this is a goddamn good book. And I wound up tearing through the rest of it, literally, in, in, in no time. I read probably 90% of this in one day. Um, and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, good points. Nixon and Rick's relationship is probably one of the relationships I've most been vested in um, as far as uh, fiction goes in in some time. Um, loved their relationship. Couldn't wait to see where it went. Um, the good and the bad. Um, like I said, Rick and Lou and, and his caring for Lou and, and how that, you know, develops and, and, and in some places changes kind of throughout the book. Fantastic. Um, the ending. Uh, you know, so we didn't talk about the ending because we're not going to, but um, I think he did a fair job with the ending when I when I kind of said it was ballsy for for him to, you know, have his narrator critique endings of great books and, and basically every book he comes across throughout the course of this one. It's a little dangerous, and I thought we might have to call Macmillan on some bullshit uh, when we were done with this. And you know what? We didn't. All, all in all, it was really, really a well-rounded book. Um, I don't see there being a, a sequel necessarily to this, but I'd be totally willing to read more about these characters. Um, I enjoyed it at least as much as Rob did, so I'm also going to give it four and a half stars. Boom. There it is. Should you give him that other half star for potential prints? Uh, no, this might have to be an after-the-fact five-star review. <laughs> 
No, I'm going to say four and a half. I got to say I have yeah. some, some integrity, or I'm lying. I, it's either I, I you it, know what? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, ugh, I, I really, really like this book, and I totally didn't expect to. I, I, here's the whole thing: <laughs> if we would have wow, gone back, no, <laughs> no, if we would have gone back and we we would have said like. If you would have said, like, hey, dude, this guy, you know, remember Tony? Oh, yeah, I remember Tony. Yeah, listen, he wrote this book, and it's about this brother and the other brother, and they meet this chick, and they're on a road trip. And I'd have been like, dude, I just I don't want to read it. I don't want to spend the time. I just don't, you know? Um, the, my fear for this book is that it's far, far better than it's going to be um, um, received. And, you know, and that's that's quite the, the problem a lot of times with things we read is that, you know, this belongs on the front table at Barnes & Noble. Mm-hmm. I, agree. I just don't know that I just don't know that it's ever going to get there. It needs the exposure to to, to get it there, and I, I'm just afraid it's not going to. Um, and, and I don't know what to attribute that to. Like I said, the the synopsis is is concise. The synopsis wouldn't have sold me on reading the book. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. that's my fear: is that this book is not going to do as well as it deserves to do. Yeah, that's the. I mean, that's the that's the, the trouble with the indie release is that. Um, unless you have a strong advocate, uh, things are going to get missed. And um, it's unfortunate because some really, really brilliant stuff, some of the best stuff I've ever read, uh, Strangers in the Proportion is a great example, mm-hmm. um, that was so relegated to a specific genre that, um, I, I mean, I don't even know if he looks at the sales for that because it's kind of something that he did and he's moved on, but... I think everybody needs to read the book. It's incredible, and and this is probably, hopefully not. Hopefully, you know, we're completely wrong, and and this becomes, you know, a huge success. But yeah, I mean, it's the danger of being an indie release is that mm-hmm. if you don't have strong advocates, it you have a very small flash, and then that's it. The one thing about this too, and this reminds me a little bit of when we reviewed Pendants by Dan O'Shea, is that it has very very mainstream appeal Mm -hmm. so part of the the issue with strangers in the proportion is that you know most people you know if you tell them hey it's a it's a guy he talks to the dead by you know feeling their insides when he's doing an autopsy that's not a mainstream book regardless (laughs) of how great it is it you understand what i'm saying it doesn't have that potential to be in the hands of you know 35 40 year old housewives or you know what i mean or or to get to that crowd where it's going to be hit the bestseller list you know, this does. I mean, it's it's got that kind of literary um, appeal to it. And, and the story is mainstream enough with all the weird shit that goes on with the drugs and, and stuff like that. Even with that, I still don't think it's too out there. So, I fully agree. Time will tell. I can tell he spent six years on this. I mean, it is really, really well put together. Yeah. And he did everything. So. He literally did everything himself from... Mm-hmm. Writing it to illustrating it to editing it to doing the layout to establishing and like he did the entire thing like he taught himself in design so he could actually do the layout of the book and everything. The only thing he didn't do was um, from the Kickstarter he said that he had a third party actually doing the layout for the ebook, but everything else, hundred percent this dude. Talking about making it happen, it's pretty. I thought it was pretty awesome. No kidding. Oh, there's nothing that can hold my attention span for that long. I can I, I can kind of identify with him. We've gone through something very similar. Mm-hmm. Yep. I don't know why it took him six years. We did it in like six months. Ten months, I think, yeah. Ten months. Whatever. At <laughs> any rate. Uh, we didn't write the book, though. We just <clears throat> collected the book. Hey, don't belittle our book, damn it. It no. could. It could. It is still eligible to win an award. We're going to, yeah. Soon. Remember the word soon. My understanding is the end of the month now. <laughs> the end of the month is in less than four days. Yeah, it's by the weekend. We, we should know how award-winning um, the podcast and or the anthology um, let's let's is. Let's be specific. How more award-winning. How much more award-winning. <laughs> <laughs> right. let's, let's get that right. So the, the, by, hopefully by the next episode that we record... Um, we're going to be telling you, we're going to be celebrating, we'll be popping corks from the champagne bottles, uh, celebrating our, our recent victory, and this is Horror Awards. Mm-hmm. Victories. Vic- I'm sorry, victories. God, I have to keep correcting you I was, I was counting it as one it collective victory, but you're right. <laughs> no, are, no, no, no. You know, we're going to get <clears throat> at least Tattoo Artist of the Year. I know that. <laughs> exactly. Thank you for your write-in votes. Hey, so, so far we've mentioned A. Adam Otten. Mm-hmm. And Adam, whose legs don't work. <laughs> so here's what happens. Sometimes, sometimes this podcast um, creates some some kind of unlikely bedfellows. 
So I do know of some instances where people have, you know, wound up working together, collaborated on stuff or whatever that actually came from this podcast, either hearing another person or, you know, or contacting someone because they heard them on here or, you know, friendships have developed, that type of thing. I didn't see this one coming. <laughs> no, this was out of nowhere. Although we should have. Yeah. I mean, the writing was on the wall. They, they both live in Wisconsin. <laughs> I know, and you know what? I guess I didn't put that together because I kind of treat them as one person in my mind. They're Adams from Wisconsin, <laughs> so. Um, but these these characters apparently decided that they could just do their own kind of thing together. Still involves us, so we'll play it here on the show. Coming this spring from Oshkosh Public Access. But gosh, I can't believe they killed Neil Gaiman in his sleep. I guess this time, the Sandman brought along his sister, Death. The Booked Podcast Investigation Team heads north in BPI Oshkosh. I just got word. They track the suspects back to the little house wayside. There wasn't even any wordplay that time. Now if I had said something like, looks like there's gonna be a little roust in the big woods. Ah, we're in the ear, dick. Starring Adam Belcarelli as Jelly Legs. My legs don't work. And Adam Auten as the fat man. But your hands still work, right? So maybe those sandwiches already. Co-starring Rob Olson as the irascible Captain Olson. Shit fuck shit fuck shit. Cap, just let us explain. Shit kicker, shit heel, shit head, shit weasel, shit scab, shit whore, shit ass. Well, there's no need for name calling. Peckerwood. Now you're just being racist. Livius Nedden as the evil CEO of Livazon International. Livius Nedden. Sometimes they run. Skip Papersley as confidential informant, booked Newsy Bear. We ain't talking about no book. David James Keaton as the mysterious Mr. Zip. <coughs> Sean P. Ferguson as something. I am an award-winning podcaster, sir. Mulaz Corbier as someone not on the show anymore. And Samuel L. Jackson. I stay deserved to die and I hope they burn in hell! Get ready for thrills. <laughs> Spills. Watch out, Oshkosh, because the booked podcast investigation team is on the case. Booked. Um, Dano. My name's not Dano. Whatever. Let's go get some tacos. BPI Oshkosh. It's going to be explosive. Damn. Check local listings. Not available outside Oshkosh. Or in Oshkosh. All right, I just want to say that I was the first person that came up with on this podcast using that um, the Who thing, the yeah, after a you know like mm-hmm. in, in, as a parody of the CSI thing. That was mm-hmm. me. That was totally me. That was you, but see, I forgot all about it until I heard it on uh, on the, the, the BSI or whatever the hell it's called. <laughs> BPI. BPI. Um, yeah, all right. So, you know, all kidding aside, we told you we were working on some other things. Um, that's one of the other things we're working on. We're actually going to have our own show where we investigate stuff. So, yeah. that's coming this year. It's not really coming this year, a, but that would be kind of cool. It would be a kind of different direction. I'm going to get a magnifying glass and a funky hat. Yep. Can I also say that um, it, it was kind of nice. I, I just watched an episode of The Vampire Diaries this last week. 
where uh, they brought back for for just a couple minutes basically every character that was killed off in the show that was important at all. <laughs> and, and I kind of felt that way at that montage at the end. Like you mentioned, like Malaz, you know, and there was like a moment of silence. Like it was it was kind of nice. It was kind of it was kind of cute. Um, yep. I like that. <laughs> I got a little self-conscious because when he was like, something about explosions, and then it's me saying, boom. Then I was like, mm-hmm. how often do I say that on the podcast? It's got to be a lot if he, if he could find it that easily, you know? Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to be the one to mention it, but yeah. Damn it. I got so. it from you. I learned it from watching you. Oh, God. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. A couple other things newsworthy. Um Big, big uh, reveal. So we we reviewed Triple X Seamus a few weeks back with David James Keaton. Apparently, Keaton was lying about being the author of that. That son of a bitch. I'm shocked. We can never have that guy on the on the on the show again because I I was totally sold that he was the guy that wrote it. Now we now I'm bumping my review up to four stars because I know it's not him that wrote it. <laughs> there you go. But um, <laughs> Anthony Neil Smith, which was one of our very first interviews here on Booked. The actual author of Triple uh, of X Seamus, now also known as Red Hammond. Um, sh- should we tell the listeners that we kind of already knew? We knew. All right, here's the thing. This is an excellent story because, like, <laughs> we, we were talking about it uh, when we had uh, J. David Osborne on to talk about Broken River Books. And so we're talking to David and we're talking about the different books and the different authors and the topic of Red Hammond came up with this uh, XXX Seamus book. And as Osborne is talking about it, I'm sitting here in my mind, I'm going like, I know who I wish it was. It's this person, this person, this person. I'm not going to say <laughs> who I mm-hmm. wished it was. Um, and then I'm looking at, because we share a document, um, because we don't record in the same room, and I, and I look down <laughs> and I see, Livius had written on the document, it's Anthony Neil Smith. <laughs> And he had actually gone uh, uh, and and Googled, um, and I guess you can kind of explain it better than I would, uh, while we were talking to Osborne and, and learned the the identity mid-conversation. Well, yeah, he had said, you know, I've got this, this porno PI novel. And, you know, those are words you don't typically hear together. <laughs> and, but th- it sounded real familiar. Like, I've heard that before. So... What do I do? I go to Google. I type in porn OPI, and the very first result is Neil Smith on a blog interview on somebody else's blog talking about, like, yeah, I finished this thing, but I don't know if I'm ever going to publish it. It's really not, you know, you know, not my style, that kind of thing. Maybe it'll go somewhere one day. So, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it, but I was even more excited than a huge Neil Smith fan. So, um, so it took Livius all of like 15 seconds to crack that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's talking PI. about my Google skills now, huh? Huh? <laughs> That's I've why we're going to start that investigation skills. podcast. Exactly. <laughs> we will expose. <laughs> we'll expose authors who are not writing under their own names. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, we're gonna have like two episodes a year. <sighs> yeah. But uh, yeah, so it's out there. There's video proof where Neil um, shows you a copy of Triple X Shapes and you know the characters' names, and then shows you a short story that I didn't know existed. In a uh, in another collection where he uses that same character, the same PI. So I may have to track that down. Uh, Completest that I am. I will say too that he uh, we we knew about it, and then I could tell he was on the verge of coming out with it because a couple days before it was actually out that he was the author, mm-hmm. he changed his Facebook profile picture to the I um, that's at the top of the uh, the dildo. Um, uh, magnifying glass on the cover of the uh, the book. So. That was a great catch on your part, by the way. I totally would not have, have figured that out. I would have thought, hey, this looks familiar, but I, I don't think I would have put it together. I but immediately, I and I was like, I know where that's from, and I was mm-hmm. going to, as a comment on there, say something like, mm-hmm. oh, this is a little bit telling, or something like that, mm-hmm. and then I, I refrained from it because I was enjoying the, uh, the secrecy, which he then like dashed like two days later, so I should have just done it. You should have outed him before he outed himself. I should have. <sighs> hey, <sighs> moving moving on. Today, Craig Clevenger posted pictures of the six copies of Mother Howell, his new book that has not been sold yet, I don't think. Um, that was a Kickstarter thing for Smoke and Mirrors if you were at the $1,000 or more level. 
Mm-hmm. Um, he posted them. I, did one of them say to Rob on it? I couldn't make it out because they were fanned out, but I thought one of them might have said to Rob. Um, no. Did you kick in a bunch of our fucking podcast money to that book? <laughs> is that is that where it's all going? I was like, look, I sent I sent a, a message into Kickstarter. I was like, look, I don't have a thousand dollars, but you can own fifty percent of the podcast. So <laughs> there you go. Livius doesn't own any. He doesn't know it yet. He's finding out right now, but. Oh man! Wow, fifty percent of nothing. That's pretty sweet. <laughs> I got that for a song. This is, this is like watching Shark Tank. Like I'll give you half of this for. Um, all I know is it broke my goddamn heart thinking that in three or four days some people will be reading. Um, will be reading that. What, <gasps> you mean not you? Yes, not me. Yeah, if it was me, I wouldn't give a shit about anybody else. You'd be like, "Fuck everybody! I have this." Well, yeah, you, exactly. To wet your whistle. There is a uh, short story that I'm sure you saw the links on Facebook, but uh, for our listeners, mm-hmm. recently published on The Rumpus called Vapor Trail uh, that Craig wrote, and um, it's pretty damn good. Dude, I, so three weeks now in a row, I think I've had to talk about a short story. So <laughs> let's talk about this for a little bit. <laughs> this is like one of the uh, here's the beauty of short stories, I think. So typically you have no idea what you're getting into because they don't have a synopsis. You know, once in a while it gets a line on the back of the the, the book if you bother reading it, you know, or, or in the Amazon description. But um, I didn't know what to expect going into that. It certainly wasn't what I got. But God damn it, that whole story was written so well that you could actually feel pretty much what, what the what the protagonist was feeling throughout the course of it. And not in that fake like, oh, I get it, he says he's sad, or I get it, he says this. Like, I really felt some of that stuff, which is very, very impressive. Fully agree. And, I mean, it's not a long story. And, and, and it's like, oh, shit, I remember from this point, he's calling this back, and this is why it's so significant. Like, mm-hmm. how do you do that in this space of, like, three pages? It was insane. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it just goddamn terrific. Go read Vapor Trail. Go read Alyssa Nutting's story. And then that Frank Edler story, you should probably read that too. Just don't do it before lunch. So, <laughs> yeah, I think definitely. we're gonna start having to find a short story to talk about every week. Tell you what, too, like back to Clevenger though. Like he's got a story in San Francisco Noir, I believe the second San Francisco Noir, and I think it's called Numbers. Excellent story. I don't know if you've read it, Livius, but um, his short fiction. I know he doesn't do it a lot. Is, I mean, just as perfectly crafted as his his books the dude is just a great writer indeed he is he is so but i am excited that uh with that kickstarter thing they're starting to get the rewards out i guess so we may have a short film to review here hopefully in the the coming weeks Ooh. um and uh you know i've got some other stuff from my from my kickstarter contribution i'm anxiously awaiting yeah. so, some clevenger swag all right so links to Vapor Trail, while Olivius is waiting, links for Vapor Trail are going to be on the post for this uh, <laughs> this episode, so you can get a little bit, of, a little taste of Clev while we're waiting for all the excellent stuff to come out. I'm really just waiting for Durham before you. That's all I care about right now. There's so much Clevenger coming up. Yeah, you really nice. think about it. Yeah, it is very nice. Like all, just, I really be- just if he if he just if he was near me and I got a hug, I'd be like, all right, I'm happy. <laughs> He's a good dude. I could. I bet you he's a good hugger. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> I hope for Craig's sake that you never ever find out. <laughs> it's just, damn it. He's like this, this guy looks kind of familiar, but why is he hugging me? <laughs> <laughs> damn it. You know he doesn't look like a hugger. I don't know where you're coming up with that. He doesn't well, look like the kind thing. of guy who just stills just hugs her. Yeah. He's asleep. He's like a sleeper. Like you don't know. Like. He's just kind of, he doesn't advertise it. Like, I look like a hugger. God damn it. I'm going to Photoshop one of those free hug signs onto a picture of him. Like, we're standing outside somewhere and see if we can pass it off as, as, as something that actually happened. I apologize if I ruined our relationship with Craig Clevenger because I was talking about hugging him. <laughs> All right. Before Rob gets weird and starts serial hugging people, um, we're going to read another book. Uh, yeah, next week we've got another book review coming up by an author who may not look as huggable. Ooh, but we've uh, taken shots at the guy already. Yikes! 
It's that goddamn jacket he wears it's to that, readings. <laughs> it's that like um, couch upholstered uh, looking looking jacket that he takes to readings. But uh, we're we're reading the follow up to Penance, the Dan O'Shea novel that introduced uh, Detective John Lynch, and it's a uh, it's a book called Greed. It indeed is twelve percent in, and I don't think you would have had to read Penance so far. I don't see anything that indicates that uh, you would need to read book one to enjoy book two. The original title of the book was Mammon, and they changed it. Yeah, I voted. I voted on that. He had a little vote-off thing on Facebook, like, hey, which one? And and I went with Greed, only because I hate having to look up what shit means. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little bit out there. I, I think I looked it up, and I was like, eh, I think Greed's better. Yeah, well, I think you know, part of the issue is that you don't want to... Here's the whole thing. Somebody look by and go, ah, I don't know what that is, and maybe just pass on your book. Yeah. By not knowing what that is, so yeah. not to mention the fact to me it it brought up uh, you know kind of like thoughts of I don't know like some kind of like demon or something and people right. can get this so, concept something on more biblical or something about. exactly yeah well penance so. but anyway yeah yeah I guess that was a little yeah, yeah. I think that was kind of thematic but um uh yeah so we're gonna be reading that that'll be on our next episode looking forward to a little more Dan O'Shea he was recently on a reading in like. Um, Minnesota or something, and I just kept. I remember he kept posting on Facebook about how cold it was and like how the end was coming and everything. It was kind of funny. Until then, I'm Livia Snedden, and I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading.